we've been talking about a series called Game Changers. We've been looking at certain attitudes and spirits that we can have, and by spirits I'm not talking about some, I'm talking about our own personal spirit, uh, that we have that I believe if the church would, would learn to get a hold of these things, put away some of these things, hold on to some of these things, that it would change the game of how church is actually done. The first one, if you'll remember, was a complaining spirit. Stop being complainer. And what do we replace a complaining spirit with? A spirit of thankfulness. That even when things aren't perfect, we can still be thankful. That even when things are bad, we can still be thankful because God is good. And he loves us and he loves you and he loves this place. And so the next one we looked at last week was having a critical spirit. How many of you have thought about that this week? I got a phone call from somebody last, this week and said, listen, your message hurt me last week. I said, okay, why? They said, I've actually been going out and calling people and asking them to meet with me so that I could apologize for being critical of the things in their life. And I'm like, man, alive, that's good stuff. And I think if the church would do this and we would drop a critical spirit and drop a critical attitude, it would be a game changer of how church is done. And so today, I can't just say, okay, quit being critical without giving you something to replace it with. It's like the demon, you cast him out and if he goes out and he comes back and he finds you've put nothing back in that place, he brings seven other buddies with him and they're worse than they ever been. Now, what we're, going to comp- what we're going to replace a critical spirit with is a message that gets me in trouble, Idra. Because I've been accused of preaching it too hard. Preaching it too much. That it's too easy and that I preach it too easy. But I'm telling you folks, when we get into this, I don't believe you can preach it enough. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 from the Amplified says this. It says, for, and I'm, yeah, I'm Amplified. For if we are in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. In other words, whether they follow the letter of the law or not means nothing. Those man-made religions, those restrictions that I sang about earlier in worship. He says, whether we're in Christ, whether circumcision or uncircumcision means nothing. But look look what matters here. But only faith activated, expressed, and working through love. Love. Faith, it doesn't matter, and we're going to look at this, but, you know, for us to grow and to know that we're ready for the things of God, then we're going to have to be making an effort to start walking and talking and behaving with radical love. It's going to be radical love. It can't be a little love. It can't be a partial love. But if we... Have you you ever dealt with somebody you just didn't like? (laughs) Have you ever really dealt with Ted? 
he's just one of those guys. <laughs> if you ever dealt with somebody you like and you think, there's no way, Brent, Pastor, there's no way you can ask me to love them. I know what they've done. I know where they did it. I know who they did it with. Come on. So you can't ask me to love. You don't know what they've done in my life. You don't know what they did to me. Let me tell you something, folks. There's been a lot of people in my life in the past that's hurt me. Am I the only one here? (laughs) Then they've hurt me bad. But you know what? There comes a time, Idra, when I have to lay all that down and love them. Now, we may never be in the type of relationship we were before as far as how close and proximity we are. But I tell you what, I can honestly begin to walk in love to them where it's a radical love that if they needed me, I would still go. But they hurt me so bad. It don't matter. There comes a point where I have to lay it down that even if they say, would you please come to me? And I would say, yes, absolutely, I'd come to you. And we would never have a discussion about how they hurt me. See, that's a radical thought. And unless the church can operate this way, well, I can't. Don't ask me to love so-and-so. I can love this one. I can love that. Isn't it funny? We all have our, our list, right? I can love this one, I can love that one, I can love this type of person, I can love that. Don't ask me to love X, Y, Z. I thought it was funny when Ron started just speaking about what he was hearing God say about love, and he didn't know what I was preaching today. I think God started early trying to tell us something. See, whether you like it or not, Matt, Love is natural for you. To love everyone, even those who have hurt you deeply, is natural. No, that's unnatural. I just can't do it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. What am I reading out of? Amplified. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. There's not a please. There's not, unless they've hurt you really bad, you should love them. No, he says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is or springs from God. So where does love come from? God. Where does God live? In my heart. So where does love live? It's already in you. See, for me to go out here and continue to actively try not to love someone is for me to go against the very nature that is already inside of me. That would make you miserable, folks, trying to be something you're not. He said, beloved, let us love one another, for love is or springs from God, and he who loves his fellow men is begotten or born of God and is coming progressively to know and understand God, to perceive, to recognize, to get a better and clearer knowledge of Him. When I walk in a radical love toward all men and I drop the critical spirit, the Word tells me here that I am actually getting to know God better. We try to do all this other 
stuff. I got to get to know God. I want to know God. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. Let me tell you, when you drop everything else and you decide that you are going to love people no matter what, no matter where they're at in their life, no matter what's going on, and no matter what they've been doing, and you decide, I am going to love them, the Word says that you are starting to gain a clearer understanding of God. It's not that deep. Love. This is how I over, well, how do I quit being critical? You decide you're going to love people. Doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything they do. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have real honest conversations about some things. Because everybody says, you start preaching it like this, you're just excusing everything. No, that's you trying to tell me. And I'm telling you something different, so please listen. I'll have open conversations. I'll have honest conversations. We'll talk about some things that might be real uncomfortable for them and me to sit down and talk about. But you know what? It is out of a place of love that I have those uncomfortable conversations. And if I don't radically love them, I will never be put in a place to have these kind of conversations with them. I'll always be the person standing on the street corner with the bullhorn telling them they're lost and doomed and going to hell and God's coming to burn them he hates them. <laughs> because that's what church has become. We don't look like God. Oh, come on. Because we're critical. Critical doesn't look like God. First John chapter 8, 4 verse 8. First, he who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not, and never did know Him. I love the Amplified there. If we don't become this type of love people, then we can't really say we know, oh, we might, you know, be on our way to heaven and make heaven our home, but that doesn't mean you're going to have an intimate relationship or knowledge of God because you don't really know Him. Come on. For God is love. Somebody told me one time, Ted, you preach that too hard. You preach the love of God too much. You preach it too easy. You, you preach about love too much. So um, if God is love, he don't try to do love. He doesn't have to work up love towards you where, oh, uh, I got to be around him. No, his nature is love. So for you, for someone to tell me that I'm preaching love too much, they don't know God. Because he says he who loves knows God, is born of God, has an intimate relationship with God. So if I'm going to replace being critical, then I have to do it by becoming God-like. Our churches need to become God-like. What does it mean to be God-like? It means to be love. Well, I want to be God-like, so I'll quit. Cut my hair. I'm going to be God-like, so I'm going to take off my jewelry. Isn't it funny what we try to think of God? I'm going to quit being, I'm going to be God-like, so I'm not going to listen to country music no more. 
I never do, so I can say that. God doesn't care. You want to really be like God? Be love. And love sometimes does have uncomfortable conversations. Love does address sin. But it addresses it a whole lot differently than most of us address it. (laughs) For God is love. And if we can't overcome a critical attitude, now I'm not judging you, I'm judging me. If I can't overcome a critical attitude, Shirley, can I really call myself even Christian? But I accepted Jesus. Okay. I'm going to heaven. Okay. But it don't mean you're Christ-like. <laughs> Breathe. It's okay. Jesus is not a Christian anyhow. Y'all know that, right? Christ was part of his name. Well, you know, he was the Christ. We are Christians, Christ-like, because we follow him. He don't follow himself. Well, it's just a Christian thing to do. Well, the Christian thing to do is be like God. God is love. And if we're hurting people with a critical attitude, and we're, and we're doing all this, thing, and what we do, we do it so slyly. We try to hide. I had a guy I knew. He would be so critical to his wife, it would make you uncomfortable. To be in a room with him is like, oh. and it, you know, but you know what his go-to was? I'm just joking. Because he thought if he could say what was on his mind and throw, I'm just joking behind it. Well, the church doesn't do that. What we do is we become so critical of everyone else and we just look at it and say, I'm just concerned. If you was really concerned about me, don't go talking to Ted. Come talk to me. Because love has uncomfortable conversations. Come on. <laughs> and so our goal is, if, if our goal is to make people feel bad about the things they're doing and hopefully that will turn them around, we ain't nothing like God. That's not what God did. He offers a better way. He doesn't point out the bad way. (laughs) So we have to learn to love people past their flaws. We've got to learn to forgive people's failures. We've got to learn to quit trying to make people feel bad about the stupid things they're doing and love them enough to show them a better way. Go to 1 Peter. (laughs) Go to 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22. This kind of message always gets me in trouble. I can live with it though. First Peter chapter 1 verse 22 from the Living Bible says, now you can have real love for everyone. So remember, we're talking about love is natural. Well, why is love natural? Because God is love and God lives in you. You are a part of God now. So love is natural. 
I like what First Peter says here. Now you can have real love for everyone because your souls have been cleansed from selfishness and hatred when you trusted Christ to save you. So when you trusted Christ to save you, guess what became natural for you? Love. So a critical spirit is actually unnatural for the believer. You're going against your very own nature. And we wonder why people are miserable in our churches. We wonder why nobody can just be free. He said, when you trust in Christ to save you, so see to it that you really do love each other warmly with all your hearts. That's another command. That's not a question. That's not a suggestion. That's not, uh, here's, the, here's, a, here's a, a, a policy that we would like for you to follow to really be a God-like. No, if you're going to be God-like, you're going to walk in love and we're going to do it with warm hearts, with all we have. And so what does love look like? How do we recognize it? Let's go to the most common way that we look at love. Since we're talking about radical, radical love. I'm challenging, I'm challenging you today. Let, I'm telling you folks, doing this, you'll, you'll see something on TV, and rather than get mad about it, you'll cry about it. You'll see somebody doing something stupid, and rather than getting upset and criticizing, it'll make you cry. That's God's heart. That's a father's heart. <laughs> so how do we recognize love? Well, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. From the message, because I love the way the message puts this. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I am nothing but a creaking of a rusty gate. In other words, I can get up here and preach all day long, I can prophesy, I can pray in tongues, I can do all this stuff, and you know, if I don't have love, what I'm doing, I'm not being spiritual, I'm just making a lot of noise. That's the Brent version. He says, I can speak with human eloquence or the, uh, 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 or, and, and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I am, back that up please, Bobby. He said, I am nothing but the creaking of a, you're just making noise. I don't care how many times you prophesied. You're just making noise. This is God's standards, this ain't mine. Go to verse two now, Bob. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and make everything plain as day. And if I have the faith to say to a mountain, jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing. We have judged our spirituality all wrong. We've judged spirituality based on how well somebody shouts, how good somebody dances, how many times they prophesied, how much they prayed. I sat and I prayed in tongues for eight hours a day, but I can't stand Lori. Guess what? You're nothing. 
you're not spiritual. You're not a spiritual giant. A spiritual giant attests itself and pushes itself to be like God, and God is love. Okay. These don't get a lot of shouts. Thank you, Jeff. Verse 3. If I give everything I own to the poor and go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. Folks, it's for no reason. I, listen, somebody told me one time my reputation. And they're, and they're talking about stuff like this. And I'm like, okay, tell me something bad. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to continue to preach God of this love because that's what he says he is. Amen. You can't tell me that by preaching anything else. He said he is love. So I can preach his love as huge as this building and I am doing the right thing. If you give all your money away and you decide you're going to, I, well, I won't take that mark. They can just lop off my head. <laughs> but I tell you, I can't stand Sydney. You're nothing. But I have faith and I've raised people from the dead. I've laid my hands on people and they've been healed and you're still not Christ-like. Oh, we get this right. Heard of a church the other day. You know what they're doing? They're going on sin hunts. They're ready to call out sin and everybody in their church, and everything is wrong. And I'm like, you're getting ready to lose a whole lot of people because you're not willing to build a relationship with them. You're not willing to love them. You just want to be critical. And that attitude will run people away. And we'll say, I don't know know why why nobody's coming. (laughs) If I give every, so no matter what, okay, where are we at? I've gotten nowhere, right? Okay. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Verse 4, love never gives up. We've been having a conversation for weeks, prayer for weeks. And you know why you don't give up? It's because you love. And you know what's going to change that life? It's going to be love. You know what's going to fix that stuff? It's going to be when he sees that love is going to pour from you. And the love of God will change them. So love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. So far, this has not looked like most churches I've been in. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Y'all let things sit a little bit. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. 
Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love, hang on to your neighbor, especially if they're in your family, that way you can touch them. Love puts up with anything. You can't ask me, you can't ask that of me. I'm not. God is. Love puts up with anything. Love trusts God always. Love what? Always looks for the best. Somebody said that to me one time too, Ted. I didn't realize how much, Steve, how many times people have things they want to say to me. Well, you're always looking for the best in people. Like that's a bad thing. That's what God said I was supposed to do. It's easy to find fault. Some people, it's hard to find the good. So what's my job as a Christ-like person is to look deep inside of them, but past their faults, past their failures, past their, the judgments that I may pass on them and say, I am looking for the best in this person because they are born of God. Didn't he tell Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you? You already had a relationship with God before you entered this earth. We spent a whole whole lifetime just trying to get back there. But love always looks for the best. Look what else love does. Love never looks back. In other words, it's not bringing past up. If you and your spouse have a fight, an argument, or you and someone in your family, and you decided we're going to get past this, we're going to love each other, oh, huggy, 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 (laughs) then guess what you're not going to do? You're never going to look back at it again. If you've really decided to forgive, because that's how God forgave me. The word says he he forgave me and took all my sin and put it into a sea, put up a no fishing sign, and decided he'll never remember it again. Come on. And that's what we're supposed to do. It never looks back. What does love do? It keeps going to the end. If we are really going to claim Christ, then we have to be people of love. John chapter 3. I'm almost done. John chapter 3. See, you have to preach these pretty quick and just shoot them out there because it gives people too much stuff to think about. John chapter 3, verse 16. We should all be able to quote this one. I'm reading now the Amplified Classic. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son so that whoever believes in him, trusts, clings to, and relies on him shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal everlasting life. That's how much God loves. So guess what my love has to be? My love has to be, back that up. Bob, please. My love has to look like this. That I decided they're not going to perish. Go ahead. Uh, No, go ahead forward to that, Bobby. I'm sorry. But I'm going to believe that they're not going to come to destruction. 
I'm going to do everything that I can possibly do to make sure they're not lost. Even if it means giving myself up completely. I'm telling you what, when we start giving ourselves up completely to people, all of a sudden, when they see love. But I like verse 17. We, we always quote verse 16. But we leave verse 17 out like it doesn't matter. It goes with it. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world in order to judge. If God decided Jesus wasn't going to judge the world and we're supposed to be Christ-like, guess what our job is? To not judge. Well, you can never talk about people sin. I, I hear your arguments. Love does not stop me from having hard conversations. Matter of fact, it encourages it. But it, encur- it changes the way I do it. We're not going to go into all that. For God did not send his son into the world to judge, to reject, to condemn. Go ahead, bub. Whoa. Uh, go, go back to the other. Uh, never mind on that one. Go back to 17. I must have forgot to put it all on there. Let, so let me finish it. He, God did not, in order, God did not send his son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. That was the purpose of Jesus. We are an extension of Jesus. The purpose of a body of Christ is not to judge, to reject, to condemn, or pass sentence. The purpose of the body of Christ is that the world finds salvation and be made safe and sound. And if our focus is on anything other than that, is it really Christ-like? In the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell, he was a Lord Proctor of England, was sentenced to be shot. He was sentenced to be executed at the last sound of the curfew bell. So they gave him his orders. He stands before his executioners. They hear the ring, they, they wait, it's, it's, it's curfew time, it's curfew time, but the bell's not ringing. So they send someone up to see and look at the bell. And hanging on the clacker of that bell, <laughs> hanging on the clacker of that bell, was this soldier's fiance. You know those big giant bells? She was beaten, she was bruised, and she was bloody. Because she knew that her lover would die at the sound of the bell. So she made sure that bell would never sound. And when she stood 
before Cromwell, who had given the order to, 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 to kill this soldier. When she stood before him and he looked at her battered and beaten and bruised body that she sacrificed for love, he said, the curf- your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. Curfew will not ring tonight. Now imagine a church that would do that for a world that we spend most of our time talking about how bad, how awful, and how terrible it is. That we would be battered and bruised just so curfew would never pass on them. That we would give ourselves up. See, walking in love comes first, even before walking in faith. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, how to walk this out. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. The beautiful, this is out of the Passion Translation, it says, the beautiful message you have heard right from the start is that you should walk in self-sacrificing love toward one another. This is the beautiful message that I walk in self-sacrificing love toward others. Verse 16. Same chapter. This is how we have discovered love's reality. So what is love's reality? Jesus put his, uh, yeah, Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Because of this great love, we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. This is love's reality. God is love. I have to put away a critical spirit. And this has to become the new reality. Verse 18. Beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory we only talk about. But a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. And verse 19. We know that the truth lives in us. Well, how do I know the truth lives in me? Because we demonstrate love in action. So if I don't demonstrate love in action, can I say the, real, the truth really lives in me then? Oh, Jesus already did the work on the cross. It's all good. I may get to heaven. It doesn't mean I'm Christ-like doing it. Come on. Because, verse, let's go, are we still at the beginning of that? Yeah. We know that truth lives within us because we demonstrate love in action, which will reassure our hearts in his presence. So if I, if, uh, game changers, game changers, when I quit, when the church quits complaining and we start letting thankfulness be the loudest voice Well, I've got a lot to complain about. (laughs) We all do. There's a whole lot going on in the world I don't like. There's a whole lot going on in the world I don't agree with. But if all they ever see me is being... Is that Christ-like? But when they hear me being thankful, no, life's not perfect, but thank you, Jesus. 
Life's not great all the time, but my God is awesome always. If, they, if, if thankfulness becomes the loudest voice, these are game changers. And then we get over our criticalness. Is that a word? Sure. Okay. We get over our critical attitudes, our critical spirit, and we become a place of radical love. This is a game changer. We've been waiting on God to do something great, and he's just waiting on us to act like him. Greatness is already in you. He's just waiting on us to act like it. And I believe that these four things that we've talked about are the game changers that will bring people to the heart and the throne of God. I didn't say it would build our church, but it would build the kingdom. See, we focus too much on, I want to make sure I get butts in the seat. That'd be nice. I would love for this place to be filled up. But I'd much rather take the 50 to 70 that's part of this church Turn a whole county around. With unmatched radical love. You preach it too hard. I can't. God is love. So I can't preach him too hard. Amen. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. You're unbelievable. You're magnificent. Man, the things you do for me, the things you have done for us, gee, I stand amazed at your glory and I stand amazed at your faithfulness and I stand amazed at your word and I stand amazed at what you've done for me and I just want to love on you and if that's all I do, I know I'll be happy. I'm so astounded by your love. I'm so astounded by your grace. I'm so astounded by your mercy. It literally just takes my breath away. You make my heart beat fast. So much you've done for me. I should never have to complain again. And Father, give me your eyes because I already have your heart that I will see when I'm coming up short and I will walk in a radical, radical love and it will change others the same way you've changed me. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen.